Morning, everyone. We're going to actually get started in the book of Job today. So those who are very new, we've been uh, doing this since October 2008. I do have a website which has all of my notes and all of the audio I record it. You see my microphone on my computer, I record the audio every week. Uh, so if you want to start from Genesis, you're more than welcome to do that. Um, and I'll give you some more information. If you want to come up after, after, after the class, I'll give you my website. I'll, I'll let you show you how to navigate around a little bit. But uh, so you're kind of starting in the middle here. So <laughs> anyway, um, I wanted to read you an interesting article that I had found. Uh, just, just to j Now, this I, I read to the class about a year ago. And I thought it'd be very interesting to, to just bring it to mind again. Because w one of the major thrusts in this class is not only to learn the more deeper aspects of Scripture and the Jewishness of Scripture and, and looking at science and looking at mythology and how all of these and even secular writings, we look at these things and we say we can, we can knit it into Scripture and prove Scripture from those things. And the more we understand of the surrounding writings and so forth and science, it is better and easier to understand more and more of Scripture. But having said that, the major thrust here is to what? Is to be ready to give an answer of the hope that lies within you. And most of the time, you're going to get the opportunity to give an answer. Not most of the time, I'd say a lot of the time. A good, a, let me say it this way, a very good time to be ready to give an answer is under duress. When people are suffering or when things are happening that take some explaining, you and I have to be ready to explain. It is also to help you understand and change your, a worldview. Now, you, we all have a biblical worldview because we are Christians. But to make that more meaty, to, make, to put more meat on those bones, if you will. But here's another thing I wanted to show you. Uh, this article, and it's, a, it's from a poll. A new survey was new in September 2009, so it's not that old. A new survey reveals that less than 10%, think of that, less. Even if it was 10%, it would be bad. Less than 10% of all born-again Christians look at the world with a biblical perspective. Isn't that interesting? George Bonner, uh, you may have heard of him, I've heard of him, a pollster with an independent marketing research company found in a recent survey that only 4% of the overall population of America and 9% of born-again Christians have a biblical worldview, suggesting that many of the nation's moral and spiritual challenges are directly attributable to this fact. For the purposes of the research, a biblical worldview was defined as believing that absolute moral truth exists, that such moral truth is defined by the Bible, and that the Bible is accurate in all of its teachings. Pretty basic stuff, right? A biblical worldview based upon understanding Bible prophecy, prophecy, you see the slant in this class, right? Because one-third of the scripture is what? It's prophecy. There's a reason for that. A biblical worldview based, on, uh, based upon understanding Bible prophecy is essential for an understanding of the times we live in today. And we'd all say we are in very curious times. We have never seen times like this, right? Let's look at the prescription of, of the provision of Scripture for a biblical worldview. All Scripture is God-breathed. That means it's inspired and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. That's 2 Timothy 3.16. God gave the scriptures to the Jew to preserve and communicate to mankind, and that's told to us in Romans. And thus, we have his written word for us today. Our blessings and understanding comes from God's provision of his heart, his mind, his thoughts in written form in the Bible. And what do I always say in this class? The more you understand scripture, the more depth you have, the better you will understand God's heart, 
his mind, his character, and I think at least as important as all of those things, his point of view. By the way, we're going to see more of that in the book of Job. Now, you all have read the book of Job, but to understand what it's all about, which most of you do, it's key because it really shows God's mind, his heart, his character, and his point of view. It also shows that he still has a relationship with Satan. And we can't question that because he shows it right there. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, now, let's look at the priority for studying a biblical worldview. The Apostle Paul wrote that we must study the Word of God. A workman that need not be ashamed, relying on God's Word for all of life's questions. We must rightly divide the word of truth. And how do you do that? How do you rightly divide the word of truth? You study just by reading it as a novel? Right. That's my point. You study to ascertain its true meaning. These two principles, study and rightly dividing the word of God, are instructions for the end times as they come from Paul's exhortation to young Timothy found in 2 Timothy and in, in uh, particularly verse 2 and 15. Finally, let's look at the prophetic scenario of a biblical worldview. A study of Bible prophecy reveals the scenario for the last days with a seven-year period of judgment in our world followed by the return of Messiah Jesus Christ. However, preceding that seven years of judgment, those who are truly born-again Christians will be taken out of this world to be with Jesus Christ. That's the rapture. Allowing the Bible to form our worldview prepares for us uh, prepares us for these future events and gives us evidence to how close they may be. All right? Now, there are a lot of people with different worldviews. Some believe in a rapture, some don't. Some think we have to go through tribulation, and their reason is because we have to be purified. That's an error. I'm sorry, it's an error. Now, we can argue about that, and you're entitled to believe what you believe if you believe that, but Scripture really, the more you understand, points to certain things in a certain way. Okay? Now, Again, we have, we have the freedom to believe certain things. What about this kingdom? What about the thousand-year reign? Yes? When you say we have the freedom to believe, yes. and the Lord leads us to believe, you Absolutely. can't then say it's error. Okay. So, I believe it's error. <laughs> and I'll say, I'll state that as such. There are widely differing okay. among strong Christians. I agree. So in this class and in this church, we don't call that error. Okay. What do we call it, Ralph? We call it a disagreement. It's a, we can disagree. Okay, But the standpoint from what I teach in this class shows in detail a lot of things, and then you're free to make a decision. Hopefully that's better for you. But I teach, I teach these things very strongly in this class, and hopefully that's why you are here. I'm more than open to debate, and, and that's the point. Okay. Think, yes? I think one thing that's a little confusing is you talk about tribulation, mm -hmm. and I don't think that it's a biblical view that we won't go through tribulation, but what it is... A reasonable view is that um, God's wrath will not be poured out on us. Absolutely, and that and is what the tribulation is about. Right. Yeah, but, the seven-year tribulation. Right, but the the if you use just the term tribulation without really kind of explaining, that mm -hmm. it's, it's that particular period. It's the wrath of God poured out in judgment. Right. Then you can. It can be confusing. Absolutely, and I thank you for that. So when I say tri the, the tribulation, I'm not just talking about general life. By the way, we're going to see a little bit about that in the book of Job, aren't we? <laughs> right? We're going to see a lot of tribulation in that mode. But I will tell you, the seven-year tribulation, you need to know the book of Daniel, and you need to dovetail that into the book of Revelation. And the more you do, the more you will see that the tribulation is that time of wrath, and Christians are not going to go through that. Now, again, there are Christians who don't want to believe that. Well, 
Is it error or is it an opinion? Well, that's my point. And the more you study, the more you know the book of Daniel, the more you know the book of Revelation, and the more you know from the Hebraic background of all this, these things, the more you will see that the tribulation is not a time that Christians should be going through. There will be people who call themselves Christians who happen to be here at that time, who may come into this building the Sunday after the rapture, even though the tribulation period itself may not have officially started yet, they'll be left behind, right? We know that. And they will come to this church. They'll come to other churches if the building is still here. And they'll be looking for an answer. Would you agree? Because not everybody who goes to a church is Christian. That's the whole point of this biblical worldview. And that is one, one reason why I read this article. I'm not here to offend, but I'm here to tell you, and you can debate that. You will hear it from me and from Scripture. That's my point. Okay? All right. Let's start looking at the book of Job. As you're turning to the book of Job, chapter 1, let's see where things stand where we, as we move forward. Now, you'll notice we, we finished up 2 Kings, and the next book is not the book of Job, is it? Yeah, I kind of was wondering. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. covered a lot of books and in one week. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, we, we, I, I had mentioned, and that's why I'm, 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 glad, I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> The reason why we're, well, we're not skipping some books, I'll just explain this to you briefly. If you look at the books of First and Second Chronicles, those books detail more about what happened in the book of First Samuel and also the books of the kings, which I remember I told you, the First and Samuel and First and Second Kings were originally one book each. They were actually one book. They got split up. And so this is an overview class. So you know how much time we spend on our overview of most things here, right? But when it doesn't warrant a lot of time, if it's a lot of repetition about, well, not a repetition, if it's more detail about facts, you're certainly more than welcome to, to, to look at them. So we're not skipping First and Second Chronicles. I just basically gave you the overview of those books. What you study in, in the books of First Samuel, some Second Samuel, and both the books of the Kings will really be... Um, uh, expanded upon greatly and detailed greatly if you do study the, the books of First and Second Chronicles. So that's it. The books that come after that, Nehemiah and so forth, Ezra. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Es yes, thank you. And Esther, can't forget Esther, right? Those are books that are called post-exilic books. Okay? So we will get to those. But in a, in a logical time frame, where we are right now really dictates that we need to wait for those books because we haven't gotten there yet. We're, we're following a timeline. Now, in this study, you notice that we have completed the study of the five books of the Torah, and we've also now completed the books of the history, which leaves us off at a certain point in Israel's history. So that's where we are, and we're gonna pick up from the, in the books of poetry, which are very interesting. And, and you know what you, I think you'll find nice is, there isn't a lot of this heavy-duty, warring, and there's a more emotion. These books are more personal. They're poetic in nature. But these books are more personal. So we're going we're gonna to investigate them and look at them from that point of view. And I think you'll see what these books really do. It deepens, it deepens your relationship with God through the relationships that are exemplified in these books, right? Especially David and especially Job. We're going to see a lot of the attributes of God as well. How he cares for you. And how sometimes you may not think he's really doing that good a job of caring for you. And some people are blindsided by certain things and they have no clue. Where's God in all of this? A wrong understanding of Scripture and God, because of a wrong understanding of Scripture, can lead to things like a book, 
I think it was maybe 15 years ago or so. It was a book that was written that was called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Anybody ever hear of that book? That was written by a rabbi. Now you think that a rabbi, would you say? I was agreeing with you. Yeah. Yeah. And that rabbi, as far as I understand, has never come back to any faith at all in God. Why? Supposedly he had a good understanding of the Old Testament. I would think he was a rabbi. He must have read the Old Testament. He must have read the book of Job. He certainly would have read the book of Psalms, right? But was it good enough just reading Scripture for him? No, because the Holy Spirit wasn't either with him for some reason, or it was, obviously wasn't in him, he wasn't a Christian. But he had a torqued world view, didn't he? He looked at the world, and he said, you know what? This world is rotten. But I'm a rabbi, i got to believe in God. I'm thinking this is his thought pattern. But when he had enough, whatever enough might be, he gave it all up. And this was, and the reason why I brought up this book is because he is an educated man in the Torah, in the history, and probably these books of poetry. You and I, thankfully, because we have the Holy Spirit, because we are gods in truth in Christ, understand the things that unfortunately the Jewish people don't understand. I told you a couple weeks ago that in Israel, they are made to study the New Testament in high school. Every Jew has to study the New Testament in high school. Well, what good does it do them? Right? That's my point. So when we look at these books, we're going to look at it from the Hebraic aspect, from the Judaic aspect. We have to. But we have to un understand that God is going to reveal himself so much more intimately with us through these books. So where are we right now? We are wrapped up in the point where we, it's about 931 B.C. The northern kingdom, uh, the northern king, well, there's two kingdoms now. There was one, one country, remember? And now there are two kingdoms. They are divided. There's the northern kingdom. And they had a total of 19 kings who reigned for 250 years over seven dynasties. They were taken captive by the Assyrians. You remember that part, right? They never returned. The Assyrians used a demoralizing tactic where they transplanted captives to various parts of their empire to mix them so that they would lose their sense of identity and roots. This is like a brainwashing, isn't it? By the way, do we see that kind of tactic being done in these days? It's like an ethnic cleansing more now than anything else, but, but they do that, okay? It is from this captivity that the Samaritans became known as half-Jews, and they were hated by the Jews who stayed in the southern kingdom. Reference in the, this is how it's referenced in the New Testament. These are the people that were considered dogs. Now, you remember there was a dialogue with Jesus Christ who actually used the term. He used the term, but there was a wonderful thing he did with a Samaritan woman, isn't there? We're going to get into that in a minute. Okay. Yes? So the Samaritans mixed with the Assyrians? Yeah, the, the Assyrians, well, they had... They had so when, when the Assyrians took them captive, they, they, it was like a, almost like a diaspora, except not for, the Jew, not for the line of Judah, for the northern kingdom. But they were already heavily into idolatry anyway when Jer Jeroboam had led that uh, insurrection there, right? So they were already primed. They just had to be now moved out because, you see, while they were still part of the southern kingdom, I mean, they were still had their annexation there with the southern kingdom, they still had Jewish-like things going on. Although, like you'll see in this passage with the Samaritan woman, she still had this smacking of being Jewish or being Israelite, right? She was just confused. 
So when you take a people and you get them out of the area, not only do they not, don't become more confused, but they become consumed by your way of life. I mean, you know, part of Satan's plan is not just to keep you from the truth. It's to absorb you into his system, which thankfully all of us were until we were saved. <laughs> Amen? I know I was, and it's hard, it's hard resisting that system even today, isn't it? Even though we see it failing all around us. It's very hard. So that, that's really the bottom line. It's sort of like a diaspora, but the difference is the southern kingdom also was taken captive into Babylon later on, right? But they came back, didn't they? Then there was a diaspora after that. Bless you. Right? Blessings to all of you. Not just because he's sneezed. Blessings to all of you. But they came back, and you know why? Why did God say he does anything with human beings, especially Israel? It's because... His chosen people for His name's sake. He will not let them fail. He will not let them go. Why? Not because they do anything good. Not because they're so, they have such intrinsic value. You and I don't really have that much intrinsic value, do we? We don't. But because we have been called by God and specially chosen to His glory and His name's sake, He will save them. There's also this thing which you spent a lot of time on called the Davidic Covenant. That had to be maintained. And that was going through the line of Judah, which was in the southern kingdom. That's why they had to be restored, and they did. By the way, in 1948, who came back into the land? That's right. All right, so I'm just going to read this to you. Here's a telling quote now of these quote-unquote half-Jews or dogs, as they were called by the full Jews. I hate to say it, but that's what Scripture says. John 14, you don't have to turn there, uh, verses 19 to 25. Sir, the woman said, you know, you know the scenario here, right? Jesus is walking, by the way, making it through. You know, the Jews used to go around Samaria because they didn't want to be there. They used to take, take more time and more energy to, to, to circumvent Samaria, right? And so Jesus actually walked through, and they were probably wondering, why is this Jewish, the Jew of Jews, the, the Jewish man of Jewish men, walking through Samaria? Because he loved them, nonetheless. We had a sermon here uh, about a month ago that talked about this. And, you know, Jesus saying, you know, basically you people are dogs, but she kept pursuing him. And he found faith. And that is the key, isn't it? Listen to this piece. So they're conversing at the well. And she says, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Hmm, isn't that interesting? You know why she called him a prophet? Because he had said, you don't, you don't have a husband now. You've been, uh, you've had many husbands. <laughs> Because he told her, as she put it, everything that she had done. So I would say, if I met somebody like that and I really didn't know who he was, I'd say, yeah, well, because I'm a Christian, I'd say there's something going on here. But uh, she was saying that he was a prophet. He was a Jew. She knew he was a Jew, so he might be a prophet. And then she says this. Listen to this. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, up there, because they couldn't worship in the temple area, because they don't even know about really worship anymore. This is, just get this point. Our fathers were worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews, you see how she's segregating herself from him? This is how del deluded they were. She said, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. You see how confused she is? So that kind of Assyrian captivity thing worked, didn't it? It watered him down. By the way, of course, it's all under Satan's direction. He wants to destroy the Jews, he wants to destroy humanity, and he certainly wants to destroy you and me. But we know that he can't. We're going to see that in Job again, by the way. See, I'm setting this up for Job here for you. Then 
After she said this, listen to what Jesus' reply is. Very telling. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Now that might sound blasphemous to a Jew, wouldn't it? Saying that you don't need to worship at the temple? What? That's why Jesus didn't come to really sew up the world, didn't he? He came to divide. And he's dividing among his own people here and among others who are not even sure who they are. He came with a sword. And he was right. Obviously, we know that. We live that. So he says here, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Now he says, now listen to this, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. So he's even saying, you're really confused, and you know it. For salvation is from the Jews, or from the tribe of Judah, which through Jesus is, because he's Messiah. The woman said, now listen, now, he just is told a very, a very telling thing to this woman. You won't have to worship in either place because salvation comes from the Jews. And the woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. Isn't that what the Jews still say today? I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. This is one of the rare moments where Jesus himself, which he did not do to the Pharisees, plainly reveals himself. He says, I who am speaking to you am he. Isn't that wonderful? So this is where we are right now in history. The southern kingdom had 20 kings who reigned for 370 years, a full century longer than the northern kingdom before the northern kingdom had been sacked, but had only one dynasty, which is the Davidic dynasty. So what God said held true, didn't it? The thread went all the way through, no matter what their problems and issues, but they were finally taken captive to Babylon for 70 years. And this is where a lot of prophecy comes in. When we get to that point, you need to be here for that if you're interested, <laughs> because prophecy is winding up. I also have a study in the book of Daniel. Daniel's book is based on the fact that he was reading the book of Jeremiah, because Jeremiah was a contemporary of his during the captivity. And he was reading the book of Jeremiah while in captivity, and he knew, because he was reading it, well, he had reassured himself, I guess is a better way of putting it, that the captivity was supposed to last for how many years? Seventy. And it was getting very close to the end. So he set his heart to understand when the end of the captivity was coming. And what was the response of God to his request? I believe it was a pre-incarnate version of Jesus Christ coming. But an angel or someone came to him and said, remember they were, they were, they were uh, uh, laywayed in uh, Persia because they were fighting the king of, king of Persia. Say again. Was that Michael? I think it's Jesus personally, the pre-incarnate Jesus. That's my opinion. If you look at the circumstances. Because Michael stayed there and helped him. So it wasn't Michael that came to Daniel. Right. And also, if you look at the Prince of Persia and you look at the Mystery of Babylon, it was probably Satan himself that was fighting that battle. So it was probably Jesus Christ. Satan is the king of Persia, the king of the whole Babylonian system. That whole, which Persia, all of it's wrapped into. My point is, is that it looks like Jesus, I'll say, probably came to, to Daniel. But what did he say to Daniel, regardless of who he was? He says, Daniel, your prayer was answered the day you prayed it. Why? Even though it took him, he was, he was, uh, he was late in coming. Why? Because this is the key. Daniel studied scripture. He knew because he had studied deeply the prophecy. He knew the timeline. And to cap it all off, 
He felt it so deeply that he begged God to understand, like we should be doing and like we are doing. And a personal response came to him because the, the response was, this, hey, not because you're so diligent in Scripture and all that, it's because you set your heart to understand. Daniel was no average Jew, was he? He would not have written a book, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People, and not, not still continued on. He knew the whole story, and he knew Scripture and history very well. Okay. Uh, let's go to the book of Job. Job chapter 1 and verse 1. That's a good place to start. The five books of poetry are different than the Torah and the history in that they allow us a more personal and experiential view, like I just said. So as we study from here, here forward, until we get back and we talk about the exile, and then we talk about the post-exilic books, which you know, we'll move forward from there, please understand we're shifting gears here a little bit, which is what the Bible really does. It's about the relationship with God through all of this. Now, scholars believe that this book was written in around 2000 B.C., right around the time of Abraham's birth. So if that's true, that makes it the oldest book <laughs> in the Bible. And there are a lot of scholars who believe that. This book is about the mystery associated, and it is a mystery, with human suffering and its construct is of a poem. It's a beautiful book. God never consults Job about what he's going to do with him, nor clues him in. By the way, you ever feel that way sometimes? <laughs> Amen. But I'm going to read you two verses. You don't have to turn there. Stay in Job chapter 1. But I'm going to read you the, the things to me that really bookend the book of Job. The two verses that act as the front-end bookend and the back-end bookend that tied the book together. I'm just going to read these to you. At the very beginning of the book, in Job chapter 3 and verse 25, Job says, you don't have to turn there. Oh, you can if you want to. But Job says, what I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. Now, you know it sounded like that Job lived the charm life. You already know the book, right? Why did he say that? Well, we're going to get into that. But that's his first impression when he, these things start happening to him. He says, what I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. But at the end of the book, the other bookend, which I think is phenomenal, he says something very telling. Job chapter 42 and verse 5. What does he say? He says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes see you. Isn't that wonderful? That is so poetic and so telling of a relationship with God. That if you and I are living in fear all the time, or we fear something and, it's gonna ha and finally it does happen, well, there may be many reasons for it none of which are associated with God and what he's doing. It could be you, it could be whatever it is. The point is, is that when it comes to the things of God, we have to get to the point of not just hearing him, but seeing him. We need the Holy Spirit to do any of that, right? And that will avoid us from becoming, in the worst of scenarios, like that rabbi who said, there are bad things that happen to good people, I quit. Especially now with what's coming upon the earth. Now you know this week, What's going to happen, right? Anybody not know this week what's going to happen? It's very important. Palestine. It was the 20th. Now it's been pushed back. Mahmoud Abbas, the head of the PLO, or the Palestinian organization, by the way, they're enemies with their other faction in the, in the uh, Gaza Strip, Hamas. Okay. 
They said that they were going to declare statehood at the UN General Assembly. And I reviewed this with the class. I'm not going to get in how they're going to do it, but they're going to do it, finally. Then they backed off. And then they said, okay, well, we're back on now. We're going to do it Friday, the 23rd. By the way, that's this coming Friday. Do you know what that entails if they get that? And they probably will. It entails them taking, just as de facto, they're just going to take Judea and Samaria, which they're already pretty much in anyway, but they're going to own that land. And the worst part of it is they're going to take East Jerusalem as their capital. Do you know God's heart and his mind about Jerusalem? Because if you study this book, you know. Dividing that land is going to be probably, in my opinion, a trigger point. And if that happens, that will trigger something. Because I have things that I'm not even going to read you because we don't have time. If you look in the book of Zephaniah and Zechariah and other of these, uh, the, the book of, uh, of Zechariah is called a mini-apocalypse. Okay, that's what it's called. But if you look at the detail of what God is going to do to the Edomites, I said to you last week when some of them, there was one scripture that says, Aha! Look at us! We even have control of the high places, Israel. We have taken your land. And God says, Yeah, you say that now. But my wrath has come up. And watch what I'm going to do. I'm just warning you. Just watch. Keep your eyes out. If they divide that land, if this vote goes through, I personally believe very quickly God will respond. He will not let that go. Because they want that land and also Israel to retreat back to its 1967 borders. By the way, even though our nation is going to quote-unquote veto this, what did President Obama do oh, a couple months ago? Remember what he proposed? He, right. You know, those really weren't borders. You know what they were? They were armistice lines from the 1947 invasion, which, by the way, Israel, uh, 48 invasion, which Israel won. If they go back, they will be, have ind an indefensible place in the, in the skinniest area. It will be nine miles wide. Do you think their enemies will not take advantage of that quickly? Look at what's going on in the, in, in the Middle East around them right now. So God will do something quickly, in my opinion. Keep your eyes open. Because what I have feared has come upon me, but my ears have heard of you, and now my eyes see you. Which side of the fear equation will you be on when really things start happening? You think things are bad now. We may have to go through some hard things. As you said, Lois, some tribulation. You know, we have a lot of personal tribulation, right? That's true. That's hard. But there's going to be worldwide tribulation before the tribulation sets in. We don't know how much of that we're going to be in, do we? We may be like Job in that regard. We have no clue of what's happening. And I want to keep your eyes open here. Because we, you know, we live a certain way, but I want your worldview to be more outward looking. Because I'm telling you, we're there. We're there. The persecution could also increase. Oh, yeah, because, LA. right. And so we don't know, you know, what the situation will be you know? before the rapture occurs. That's a very good point. I'm going to have to cut you loose in a minute here. See, there's such a little time. We started 10 minutes late. We've got to stop it. Okay, so we'll wrap up with this. Egypt, you know, is no longer Israel's, well, they were never their friends, but they had this peace treaty, right? Which actually was something that worked against them for 30 years, even though it looked good. Because now there is no peace. Now they're waiting to be invaded, okay? If this thing happens, there's a lot of political things that are going to fall right in place with Syria and their upheavals, right? They're going to invade Israel. They probably will. Turkey, look how, oh, how quickly Turkey's turned against Israel. Did you know that? You know one of those nations that's prophesied to, to engage Israel at the beginning 
or just around the beginning of the tribulation? Russia. Russia will lead the pack. Iran, right, which was Persia until it was called Iran, which is Farsi for Aryan because they were in bed with Hitler to eliminate the Jews. And they renamed their country Aryan. That's why it's Iran. Look at Iraq. We don't have to know what's going on there. But te technically, there are, there are a couple of major prophecies against Egypt where God is going to make Egypt desolate for 40 years. 40 years. My point is, is that there's going to be a trigger and all of these things are going to fall like dominoes. There's a prophecy against Syria. Damascus being flattened in a day. So, we have to wrap up. But the point is, is that... <laughs> All things work for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, right? Amen. Just like Job, once I feared, and those things happened. We're going to see what Job feared next week. You're not going to believe, well, you may, you'll believe it, but it's like, he was superstitious, by the way. Did you know that? Not in a bad way, not in a, like a pagan way. But he kept rituals. He made sure that he sacrificed for his children. He supplicated God for, and just in case, just in case. Now, that's not necessarily a wrong thing, especially for a Jew. But what good did it do? You could see that he was trying to do the right things in the right way so that he would protect. Because, you know, once you're very wealthy, once you have a lot, especially if you have a beautiful family and you're wealthy or whatever, whatever it is, you want to protect those things and that's natural. So some of us, like Job, may be superstitious. If we do the right things and we do and say the right things, that God will always put a hedge around us. Well, some of the times the problem is having the hedge around you because when you lose it, you might not know what to do. Because you and I always fear of losing something. And f at some point, what we fear may come true. So we have to make sure we're like Job and we say, my, eyes have hurt, my ears have heard you, my eyes have seen you. So next week, we're really going to get into the meat of this and we'll move forward. Thanks, everybody. Have a very good week.